So if there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interest of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. This is the word of our Lord. All right, Mercy Hill. Before we jump in, two quick announcements. Um, many of you know this, but we hired Andrew Ginn as our full-time associate pastor last Sunday night, and so that's something to celebrate. He'll begin January 1 or 2 or first of the year, and uh, we're super excited about that. We're also excited we became an official part of the Soma family of churches. That's S-O-M-A. It's a Greek word. Um, which means the body, so the body of Christ, that we're called to be his body. And Soma is a family of churches that began on the West Coast with this idea of making disciples around a small group structure called missional communities. And um, there's some local Soma churches in the southeast that we're now a part of. You can go to wearesoma.com to find out more about that. And uh, we're super excited to be a part of this family of churches where we can um, both be resourced and also resource others and see the gospel saturate our city and the southeast. So two quick announcements for you. Philippians chapter 2, we're in this series entitled The Star, the Cross, and the Crown. Last week we looked at the star and um, we took time to lament these Parts of our world where we encounter disappointment and suffering that come to us, and we saw how Jesus has broken into our world and how he has come to us, that he has sought us out. And today we're looking at the cross. This last week, I watched the funeral of our 41st president, George Herbert Walker Bush, I don't know if any of you had a chance to watch his funeral. And I was struck by the impact of his life and his presidency. He was an incredible statesman. Served in the House of Representatives, director of the CIA, um, vice president for eight years, and then president from 89 to 93. I don't know if you guys remember those years. Some of you weren't born and some of you remember them well. I was a middle schooler and a high schooler at that time. And what struck me about this and watching his funeral as I heard these amazing exploits of George H.W. Bush and the incredible impact of his life, I was struck because as a student, you know, students are usually beginning in middle school and high school to pay attention to politics, to pay attention to world affairs, um, but as a student, I really just didn't remember that much about him. He was rather reserved. He wasn't very flashy. He certainly wasn't much of an orator. Um, but 
as his life was eulogized, it became clear that he was a man who loved God, who loved family, who served his country well, both as a Navy pilot as he was shot down at the age of 20, and then uh, as he would incredibly live and later go on and, and serve as a great statesman. He fought for the good of the nation over his own good. There were some decisions that he made that probably led to him not being elected again. He put others before himself. But the thing that struck me the most was the humility that people used to describe him. He was a humble man. And reflecting on that as a young man, I don't think I could appreciate that as a middle schooler, as a ninth or a tenth grader. I don't think I could appreciate that characteristic in our 41st president there were even times where he was accused of, of being a wimp. The truth was, he demonstrated something very remarkable for a leader, especially for someone who's, who's commander-in-chief of the United States of America. He understood that it wasn't about him. Instead, his role was to be that of a servant. And so over and over and over again, he was described as a man who lived with great Humility. Today, I want to look at one of the least admired characteristics of Jesus. His humility. It's one of the least admired. We'd probably all agree that, that humility is a great characteristic. We'd pray for it in our kids. Most definitely in our boss. Maybe even in our president. But not many of us truly desire humility for ourselves. Kind of think of humility like vegetables. Good for us, but not too tasty. But humility is a characteristic that's hugely important. We would never put it on our list of New Year's resolutions. can almost guarantee none of you are thinking, 2019, I want to grow in humility. I mean, it would be just above patience. It's not something that we would aspire to. Maybe for our spouse or for a certain coworker, we might pray for humility in their lives, but not in our own. But Advent is a season in which we're reminded of Christ's humility in his coming to earth and especially in his coming to our hearts. And we see that no more clearly than on the cross. Today I want us just to spend a few minutes moseying through one of the most amazing passages of Scripture in Philippians chapter 2, which speaks to the humility of Jesus. The humility of Jesus. And here's my goal. My goal is that we might see that a life of humility really is an amazing life. Living a life of humility means living like Jesus. And that means that we live a life that brings true joy. Not just at Christmas, but all year long. Look with me at Philippians chapter 2. Paul writes to the church at Philippi. And in verse 1, he begins with an odd set of words. So if there is any encouragement in Christ any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any 
affection and sympathy. It's somewhat odd that Paul would write this way. If there is any, is he asking the question? The truth is, as you look at the original language, in many ways, Paul is writing with irony. It's literally meant to be read, if there is any encouragement in Christ, and there is, if there is any comfort from love, and there is, or it could be read, since there is encouragement from Christ, since there is comfort, comfort from love, since we have participation in the Spirit. I want you to think about that for just a moment as Paul calls the church at Philippi and he calls us to examine our position in Christ and all that we have as a result of that. How have you experienced encouragement, comfort, participation? I think back to a little bookmark that we printed for you years back and we've actually, um, Stacy's printed them and laminated them, and they'll be in the CBR journals today if you purchase one. And it just shares of our position in Christ. And in a way, it even elevates what Paul is writing here. So I have a few of those on the screen for you that you would see who we are in Christ. We are dead to sin, Romans tells us, and that makes us spiritually alive. We are forgiven and declared righteous. We are children of God, and we are God's possession, making us heirs of God. We're blessed with all spiritual blessings. Everything that Jesus has is ours. And we are citizens of heaven, set free from the power of sin in our life. We don't have to be controlled and ruled by sin. We're free from the law, and we are crucified with Christ. Because Jesus has been a light in our world, we are now light in the world because Jesus is in us. We are victorious over Satan, and we are cleansed from sin and declared blameless. We're set free from desires of the flesh. We don't have to be ruled by our flesh, and we are secure in Christ. We are granted peace. And we are loved by God. Now, it's one thing to be reminded of those on a bookmark and to even see those in black and white letters on a page. But I want you to consider from this last week, as Paul says, since there is encouragement in Christ, how has Christ encouraged you this last week? How has Jesus been an encouragement to you when the world failed you this last week? How has Jesus brought comfort to your heart from his love this last week when you weren't receiving comfort from this world? How have you participated with the Spirit this last week through his direction in your life, giving you the power to overcome sin and to be a light in this world? Did you give yourself credit for that or or did you realize that that was the Holy Spirit directing you how did you sense the affection for that God has shown you personally this last week? That he loves you with an everlasting love. How did you sense his affection for you? 
Paul isn't just calling us to random facts. He's calling us to experience a real Savior who's at work in our life. And he goes on in verse 2 to say, Complete my joy. Such strange words. Complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Paul's making an appeal to the church at Philippi for unity. And he's calling the Philippians to imitate Jesus. If you imitate Jesus, you're always going to have unity within his church and within his family. And what's remarkable about Paul's statement when he says, complete my joy, is the fact that he's writing from prison. And it's in chapter 4 of verse 13 of this letter that that Paul would declare that, that he's learned the secret of contentment. It's a verse that A lot of you learned in Sunday school when you were growing up or in vacation Bible school. As Paul would write, the secret of contentment is this. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. And now Paul is urging the church toward unity and he's calling them to have the same inner attitude of love that Jesus displayed. That's the setup for this passage. Now look at verses 3 and 4 with me. Do nothing from rivalry or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interest of others. Anybody familiar with these verses? Anybody heard these before? Can I get a show of hands? Anybody? A few people going to testify? Would you just agree with me for a moment to pretend that we've never read this passage of Scripture before? And can we take off all the filters and layers of when we've studied this in the past and all our knowledge of what this passage means? And could we go back and read it like we are new Christians and never heard it before? Listen to it with fresh ears. Do nothing from rivalry or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interest of others. Can we stop for just a minute and agree that what we just read is impossible? Like, how often do we read this set of verses and get excited about it and go, yeah, that's the Christian life. I'm going to go do that. Like, look back at this. There's no way you can live like this. We ought to read this set of verses and be utterly crushed by it. These are Paul's words to the church. Hey, live in unity. Be a good family. Display to the world what it looks like to love like Jesus did. Now, go live like Jesus. Love like he loved. Here's how he did it. Do nothing from rivalry or conceit. Nothing. In humility, count others as more significant than yourselves. I got in an argument with one of my kids last week over candy because I was being selfish and didn't want him to eat it all up. And we got in an argument about it. I'm arguing over candy, folks. Like, we are utterly helpless. And it would be good if we actually started the reading the Bible with honesty. Like, could we all agree that when we start reading these CBR journals uh, in the new year, that we commit to try to read the Bible honestly? Wouldn't that be a good plan? 
Like, it would probably be a bad idea to sin while reading the Bible. It would probably be a bad idea to sin while we're reading the Bible. You can do that. Read the Bible in this way. Oh, do nothing from rivalry or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves? Yeah, that sounds good. I got that. We don't have that, folks. Within ourselves, we don't have the power to do this. And if we're reading the Bible honestly, we realize that we are prideful, we are selfish, that we need the Spirit in our lives. It seems in this passage that Paul's very instructions begin the journey of humility. When we are honest with ourselves in admitting that we need Jesus' power in us, the Holy Spirit, in order to live with this type of attitude or this type of heart. And he tells us how to do that in verse 5. He says, Have this mind or this attitude among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. So let me encourage you, because while this mind or attitude is impossible on your own, Through Jesus, he's saying we have this attitude that we can tap into and live through his power because his Holy Spirit is within us. And so be encouraged when I say, hey, we can't do this on our own. But Paul turns around in verse 5 and he says, have this attitude, have this mind among yourselves. And by the way, it is yours in Christ Jesus. The Spirit is in you. He empowers you. Look at verse 6. Who though... He was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but made himself nothing, taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. And being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. I just want us to zero in on Jesus for a minute. Jesus is the most humble man to ever walk the earth. I hope we'll consider that during this Advent season. Jesus The most humble man to ever walk the earth. Merriam-Webster says this when it defines humility. Humility is the quality or state of not thinking you are better than other people. The quality or state of not thinking you're better than other people. Here's the funny thing about Jesus. He actually was. He was better than everyone. He lived a sinless life. He came from heaven and he lived perfectly in every way. Yet he chose for his entire life to be be characterized by extreme humility. Extreme humility. Think about it. He was born in a manger. Can we revisit that for a moment? Away in a manger. We sing that song... It should be away in a dog's bowl. It wasn't even a dog's bowl. It was the cow's bowl. It was the sheep's bowl. It was where the cattle would come and eat. And that's where our Savior was laying. He was born into extreme humility. He lived a peasant's life doing manual labor as a carpenter. He showed incredible with strength. All the way to age 30, living 
serving faithfully his family, waiting for God's direction. Mark 10, 45 tells us, For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Humility characterized Jesus' life. He left the glory of a perfect paradise in heaven. And the scripture says that he emptied himself. Sometimes we get so caught up in that passage from a theological perspective that we can lose sight of the reality of Jesus coming. Theologically, it means that he emptied himself by becoming human, by entering into our messy, dirty, broken world as a tiny, helpless, dependent baby, fully God and fully human. Practically, what it means is that if social media existed, this is not something that you would post to your Instagram account. It wouldn't be tweetable. This would be that part of your life that you would want to hide, that you would be ashamed of. The God of the universe took the form of a servant, humble. Mark Jones in his book, Knowing Christ, sums it up this way using Scripture. Jesus, the Lord of glory, the beautiful and glorious one, the radiance of God's glory, full of grace and truth, was at one time a worm and not a man, scorned by mankind and despised by the people. Moreover, he was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And as one from whom men hide their faces, he was despised, and we esteemed him not. There's never been a greater humiliation of a person than that of Jesus. No one has ever descended so low, because no one has ever come from so high. What a strange way for a king to act, serving, giving, dying, Look back at the way in which we honored our 41st president in his death. All the details that were put into place. Even a train ride at the end. Incredible detail in the way that we honored. Think of Jesus, his birth, his life, his death. He was spat upon. He was mocked. Jesus wasn't president of the United States. He's king of the world. Think about the contrast in his humility. It dominated his life. Zechariah 9, 9 would predict that humility would be a key characteristic for Jesus. Hundreds of years before he would be born, Zechariah would write, Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout aloud, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your king is coming to you. Righteous and having salvation is he. Humble and mounted on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. So humble. So low, so giving, Jesus gave all, even death on a cross. And when you go back and you look at the way in which Jesus emptied himself, when you really examine verses 6 through 8, and you consider who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped or held on to, but emptied himself taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even 
death on a cross. When you consider those verses, not just for Jesus, but when Jesus has said, come and follow me, it really changes our opinion of what God might be calling us to do and how he might be calling each of us to live our lives. How he might be calling each of us to shepherd the good and amazing gifts that he's put within us when we think about God's calling on us in this way. To give our lives away? I thought we were supposed to be building a life, watching out for number one, making something of ourselves. Isn't that what our country tells us? But Jesus has said that the call is to give our lives away. How do we do that? Well, Jesus taught us how. Humility comes by humbling ourselves before the mighty hand of God. And Jesus Jesus brought us to himself because he became low. The world would teach us that you can give joy by gaining it all. But Jesus teaches us that we gain joy by giving it all to God. The truth is we don't need a higher view of ourselves. We actually need a lower view of ourselves. If you count your life as nothing, if you daily submit to the perfect will of God, you'll gain actually a bigger view of God and slowly come to understand the humble, meek, sacrificial, yet joy-filled life that he calls each of us to. And here's the crazy thing. When we live like Jesus lived And when we commit to live a life of humility, we can experience Christmas, not just for a week, but all year long. See, people lower themselves for a week each year. Even people who don't know Jesus. My neighbors will call me and ask, do you have angel tree children? Is there something I can give towards at Christmas? They don't worship Jesus, but they'll call and ask, The world will lower themselves for a week each year, but only the Spirit of God can transform our lives daily, reminding us to die to self and to to become alive to God. Humility doesn't come naturally. Humility is a combination of the fruit of the Spirit in our lives, which can only be produced by the Holy Spirit when we choose to abide in Him. Jesus taught us how to embrace humility. You may hear this message and say, you're calling us to remember the cross and you're calling us to remember Jesus who lived a life of humility, but you're not telling us how to do that. Well, Jesus taught us how in the Lord's Prayer. We would live humble lives in 2019 if we made the commitment to pray the Lord's Prayer daily. And I don't mean to pray it just merely to recite it. But I mean if we prayed it in a form in which we meditated upon it in light of our own lives as we prayed it. Think about it. Our Father. It takes a while to get past that word. Who art in heaven. Hallowed it be thy name. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done. On earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. And forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the power 
and the glory forever. Amen. Jesus taught us how to pray in a way that reminds us of what it means to follow him, to put him first, to live a humble life. That prayer, it reeks of humility. Do you want to know the way to make the Christmas spirit last all year long? Would that be cool? It doesn't involve Hallmark movies. I'm sorry. You don't have to leave your decorations up all year long. I'm sorry. It doesn't involve cold weather. Even some of you might like that. If you want to see the spirit of Christmas last all year long, live a humble life like Jesus. Count others as more important than yourself. Look to others' interests, not simply your own. And could I suggest a way, even this Christmas season, that you might consider doing that? Think of one coworker, family member, or friend who doesn't have a church family. Begin to commit to pray for them daily between now and Christmas. Don't think of 12. Just think of one. But make the commitment, I'm going to pray for this person who doesn't know that the light of the world has come into this world. They don't have a church family where they regularly recognize Jesus as, as King and as Lord and as Savior and pray for them. And then between now and the 23rd, invite them to come and worship Jesus with you. Just make an invitation. It's going to require some humility on your part. A lot of times we think that people who go and share Jesus' name with others, those who are great at making disciples, sometimes we think that they're kind of all about themselves and prideful. It actually takes a humble heart to be able to share the name of Jesus, to be able to take a risk, and to be able to step out in faith. It takes a humble heart because you might be rejected. But in the midst of that, in the midst of our humility, we're reminded that Jesus came to earth for us. In our brokenness, in our sin. When we had no opportunity to turn toward him. What would it look like if our lives were characterized by humility? How would we be remembered? If we each lived a life of humility for decades on end, what kind of difference would that make in this world? That attitude of, of humility, it created something remarkable at President Bush's funeral. I, I watched news reporters time and time again as, they, as people walked away having seen and heard the character of this man and the life that he lived and they made the comment time and time again, it just makes you want to be a better person hearing about his life. What caused that? What brought that? What was so appealing about a life of humility? Well, the truth is it led to great fruit led to great fruit. He honored others above himself. Jesus taught us that more than anyone. And what the city of Memphis needs is a family of Jesus followers who are on mission looking out for the needs of others before their own. 
The church needs to be humble more than we need to be right. People don't really care how much we know until they know how much we care. The church needs to be humble in order to even know how to serve. We're so quick with our opinions and our solutions to generational issues that have plagued our city. We need humility. The church needs to be humble, even in order to know how to worship our glorious King. Because if we aren't humble, we'll make worship all about us. Jesus didn't come to worship us. He came to rescue us and to bring glory to God. And He now reigns as our glorious King. And we humbly surrender everything to Him. I just want to end today by asking you, where is God calling you to humble yourself in order that He might be great? In order that He would be great? As we come to our time of communion, communion offers us a time to remember that Jesus came to pay the penalty for our sin. Earlier in the service, we grieved. We lamented some things in our lives. Some personal things that aren't as they should be because of our own personal sin and brokenness. And communion offers us a time to remember that Jesus has come to make all things new and that's worth celebrating. And so as we come and as we take of the bread that reminds us of His body broken for us, and as you dip it in the juice that reminds you of His blood that's been poured out for you, may we celebrate Because the sin that we have lamented and that we have now confessed, God reminds us He has placed it as far as the east is from the west. And He remembers it no more. Before you come down, consider our earlier lament. How does the cross give you reason to celebrate your brokenness, your sin, and how Jesus has now defeated sin, the death, and the grave, and how he offers you forgiveness and joy and life, all because he was willing to humble himself. Thanks be to God for his humble servant, Jesus. May we celebrate him today through his table and through our lives. Let us pray. Father, thank you. Thank you for Jesus. Thank you for sending a humble servant who would remind us, God, of your love for us. God, may you remind us that the way to greatness isn't up, but it's down. God, would you remind us of this upside down sort of kingdom that you've called us to. God, during this Advent season, may we celebrate with great joy God with us in his humility. And may we consider how you have made him great because of the cross and because of the resurrection. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.